three Sunday morning worship services for Easter. We're going to have an 8 o'clock, a 9.30, and an 11. And, uh, and just believing that there's more people that we need to reach, more people that need to hear the gospel. And uh, so we're just going to, we're kind of beginning to advertise now. And uh, we have some little invite cards that uh, we've had printed. And I don't know how many more we have here with us today, but uh, they're just in the form of a little business card. And, uh, and we're just putting these in your hands so that you can invite uh, your friends, your neighbors, and um, others that you might just come in contact with as you might go out to dinner or, or out to lunch. And I, I, you know my rule, though, if you're going to invite somebody that served you or waited on a table for you at a meal, then you have to tip really big. Okay, don't be cheap and then leave the card. Don't be like giving them a dollar and then leaving the card, but um, bless them as you're able to and leave a card just inviting them to our Easter services. Our 8 o'clock service for you, um, one second, Rebecca, our 8 o'clock service is going to be a classic, more traditional style of service. Some of you, I believe, would desire to to be a part of that, more of a hymn-type piece. Um, And so that's going to be at 8 o'clock at 9.30 and 11. Uh, It's going to be more of a contemporary style of worship. Uh, And we're also going to have a guest worship leader. His name is Brandon Scott Smith, who will be leading us in worship that day. So just lots of uh, exciting things going on at Easter. Um, We're, you know, just like I said, we're inviting lots of people, and there's some cards. Rebecca, what were you going to tell me? She has cards at the connection table, so take a few minutes. And, uh, and collect those. I also wanted just two other things real, real quickly. Um, tonight at, at 5.45, if you're able to join us, we're, we are having kind of a prayer gathering in this room. Uh, and for the next couple weeks, we're going to be praying over uh, some of the things that are going on around Easter. And so we would love for you to be there. Ted Shada, uh, one of our elders, will be leading that tonight. But I will be there at the very beginning uh, just to introduce a couple of things to you. So, um, and then also wanted to make mention that two Wednesdays from now, which I believe is the 20th, is our business meeting. Uh, and don't let that sound bad. That's a, that's a very exciting time. There's lots of good things that are happening at First Baptist, way more than we can talk about on a Sunday morning. And so just put on your calendar for March the 20th. Uh, come out for that business meeting, kind of hear uh, some of the exciting things that are going on. Now, Genesis chapter 8. We're going to cover 8 and 9 today. And, uh, and it's exciting to kind of get to the end of this story of Noah. It's exciting for me. I feel like I've, I've gained more out of the story than maybe I ever have before in, in my reading or, or study of it. I just really feel like I pulled some things out just in my own life and been challenged. And today, hopefully, for, for all of us, that's going to be true. And the way that I want to approach my message this morning is, is I've got a couple of points for you on your outline, and, and then what I'm also going to talk about is in relation to that point, as we unpack it through Scripture, what, what's sort of the application for us in the midst of that? What's the application? What do we draw out of it in our own life? What's required for us um, as we know this truth um, to keep following after God? And so that's, uh, that's how we're going to approach this morning. And uh, I'm also going to be weaving through a, a little bit of a story with, with one of my kids, and so I hope you'll just kind of bear with me with that. It's something that I'm just living in the middle of right now, and, uh, and, it's, and it's exciting but yet exhausting at the same time, uh, and so you'll hear some about that. So Genesis chapter 8. I know we feel like we've been in Genesis for months, and we're only in chapter 8. Isn't it awesome? Isn't it awesome? Um, and I'll make comments as I read. I will read this whole chapter uh, to kick us off this morning. It says this, but God remembered Noah. I love that. I told you I was going to comment. I just love that idea. 
that, that God remembered Noah. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but just kind of think through what that, what that feels like, what that sounds like, that he wasn't left by himself. God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused, God caused, that might be something you need to underline, God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. Also, the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed, and the rain from the sky was restrained, and the water receded steadily from the earth, and at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. In the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. The water decreased steadily until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. You you seeing that? Some of you watched the Bible this past week, didn't you? Didn't you? Come on. The tops of the mountains. See that? All this time is passing. God caused the wind to come about and began. The waters began to recede. And then as, as time slowly crept by for Noah, you know, for us it's a couple verses of Scripture. But for him, I mean, living in the middle of it, I mean, it is creeping by. Anybody kind of live in that world sometimes where it's like, can this day ever get over? Can, can Noah, can I ever get out of the boat? Can I, okay, my, my family is driving me nuts. The animals are starting to, can we please get out of the boat? And slowly and slowly and slowly the waters recede and they're able to see the tops, the peaks of the mountains. Could you imagine what a beautiful picture that would be? I mean, all the water covering all of the mountains. Everywhere you look was water. But then it slowly began to decrease, and you could start to see the peaks, and it'd be like, oh, that would be a beautiful picture. Because I remind you if, you, if you go back, the mountains in that region were like 17,000 feet above sea level. 17,000 feet in elevation. That's three miles, more than three miles of water. We were, we were driving yesterday, and uh, we were in Charleston, and I've got the GPS rolling on my phone, and my daughter, she loves the GPS lady, by the way. I don't know why. She, she even said, I love the GPS lady, but she's like one mile, and she's like, well, how far is a mile? And my dad's in the car, and he's like, it's 5,280 feet. Well, how far is a mile? It's 5,280. Just told her that like three or four times. She didn't really grab but, but imagine that. Three miles, 5,280 feet times three is a big number. 17,000 feet in elevation, and the peaks were covered, but slowly the waters decreased, and you could see the peaks of the mountains. Isn't God a good God? Then it came about, verse 6, at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent out a raven, and it flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the water was abated from the face of the land. But the dove found um, no resting place for the sole of her foot. So she returned to him into the ark, for the water was on the surface of the earth. Then he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark to himself. So he waited yet another seven days. 
And again, he sent out the dove from the ark. The dove came to him toward evening, and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive branch. So Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. Then he waited. Don't you love this? Then he waited another seven days. Man, can we please get out of the ark? Please. But he waited another seven days and sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again. Verse 13. Now it came about in the sixth in the 601st year, in the first month, on the first of the month, the water was dried up from the earth. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the surface of the ground was dried up. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Then, verse 15, big, big deal right here. Then God Now, now we, don't know, we don't know what it was like in, in, in this year in the ark. We don't know if there was this conversation going on between Noah and God. Not sure. But what you see is at the end of this, God spoke. And I would imagine that that was pretty refreshing for Noah. He'd waited seven days and seven days. you know. But then God spoke. saying, go out of the ark. Finally, finally, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you, bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by their families from the ark. Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma The Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. He's a good God. And even though you're you're coming through a horrific story about his judgment. In Genesis, he is still good and right. And it's a beautiful new beginning, really, that you see in Genesis um, chapter 8. I want to pull out just a couple things for you in the midst of this. Um, one is, is going back to the very beginning of verse 1 of chapter 8. It says that, But God remembered... Noah. God remembered Noah. You see, God doesn't have a bad memory. God doesn't have a forgetful, see, a forgetful memory because he, 
he's not like us in that regard. Right? I mean, for us, it's, I forgot this. I forgot that. I don't remember somebody's name. And we, for, for us, that's the way we look at, but I remembered something. We, we, we think of, we remember something that we forgot. It's like we recall it to mind. It's for a season, I didn't remember. I didn't know about it. I completely forgot about an appointment. It happened to me this week. Somebody called me, uh, or actually, they didn't call me, and they didn't show up. And, um, and I've done that before, too, by the way. So I'm, I, I just extended the guy bunches of grace. And, but he called me the next morning. He's like, man, I am so sorry. I said, man, it's no big deal. But he completely forgot. That's not what we're talking about here. When it says that, that God remembered Noah, you can't go to that line of thinking. You can't go to the line of thinking like, okay, so God told Noah to build an ark. took him 100 years. He gets in the ark. He closes the door. He allows the rain to come, the waters to rise from beneath the surface of the earth. And then it's like all of a sudden God like, took a vacation. And then he comes back and it's like, oh, Noah, oh, I forgot, sorry. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about when, when God remembers Noah, when God remembers Noah, all we're, all we're to be reminded is that God acts on behalf of his people. God acts on behalf of his people. When he remembered Noah, what it, what, it wasn't a remembering like, I forgot, it was a remembering like, it's time to act on behalf of of Noah. It's time to act. It's time to move. And, and what you've got to understand is that God acts on behalf of his people. He, he always acts. Now, sometimes it's slowly. Sometimes it's, it's um, through ways that we never really thought that he would. But the reality of it is, for us as believers, you come to the place where when we understand that God acts, when God remembers when he begins to move in our lives, what we begin to know and what we ought to get to the place to for us is that we're trusting God. When I said um, I was going to go two ways, you're going to see the point and then kind of talk about how it relates to us. So in, in looking at God acts on behalf of his people, for us in our life, it requires trust. For us in our life, it requires trust. For, for Noah in his life, it required trust to know that when God um, told him to go in the ark, he was going to go in the ark. And then when the door shut, he's going to wait. And basically, he's going to hang out there until God tells him what's next, which took a year. That's a long time. I don't know if you realize that. I mean, 365 days is a long time to just be waiting for an answer or waiting for God's next step for you because right now the, the the first step for Noah build an ark the next step get in the ark get all the animals gather all the food get in there and then the next step came a year later when it's time to get off the ark it was just hang out for a year and so you think about that in your life and the life of Noah for all of us when we believe that God acts on behalf of his people it is going to require for you and I this element of trust this layer of trust in our life that we believe that we um, are trusting that God told us to do something so we will wait till he gives us the what's next because if God's going to act and he's going to move on my behalf then I've got to trust him I've got to trust him. Now, the next question I have for, for us and to unpack it a little bit is, what does it mean to trust God? Well, it's to believe him. It's, 
Yeah, but what does that mean? Does anybody, I mean, you know what I'm saying? You start, you start using all these definitions and stuff, but I mean, really dig down in your life to, to what for you does it mean to trust God? It's like, it's one thing to even intellectually know things about the Bible. It's one thing to be able to approach the Bible and go, well, I know this is true, but the bigger question is, since this is true, since this is true, what does this mean for me? Because that's what we're talking about when we get to trust, is how does trust weave its way into your life? I, I like to think of trust um, through a little bit of a, a picture, and this is where I'll, I'll begin telling you a little bit of a story about one of, my, one of my kids. Tate is my youngest. Tate is a complete daddy's boy, and it thrills my soul uh, it, some days. Some days it drives me nuts. I'm like, please, son, don't tackle me while I'm trying to walk from one, because he wants me. And, uh, and that's, that's Tate. He completely just, he doesn't, he honestly, he, he could care less about his mom. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Carrie would vouch for that. that I mean, it's Tate, it's not about mom. It's about dad. Where's dad? What's dad doing? I want to be with dad. I want to hang out with dad. And mom's just this person that maybe fixes dinner, you know, kind of thing. So, um, it, but I'm, I'm, I jest a little bit, but he really is. He's just a complete daddy's boy with that. To the point where um, he, in the middle of the night when he gets up, he always comes to me. Always. He doesn't go, he never goes to Carrie. Most of the time. I, I said never, and then I remembered two nights ago he went to Carrie, which is unusual. But it was because um, his sister was in their room screaming for mom, and he went in there and poked Carrie and said, um, Andy want you. <laughs> and then he proceeded to walk to my side of the bed. And that's what he does. And it's like, it's, it's all the time he does that. That's how he approaches it. So what I've done with, with Tate probably over the, really the last probably eight to, eight to ten months, I guess, since we took him out of the cribs and whatever, but um, he'll come to my bed in, in the middle of the night, you know, and I can hear his little feet most of the time. Sometimes I don't hear him and he's just poking me, you know. And it just instinctively anymore, I just, I just lift him up and I just lay him, and he lays, he lays right across on top of me, and he puts his, puts his head right here. And within, within seconds, he's asleep, usually. But really, it is. I mean, it's just really just boom. And he's, friends, when, when I think of the idea of, of trust, for me, I think of the idea of resting. To rest in this. When you trust God... You rest in him. When you trust God and you know and you believe that God acts on behalf of his people, you find rest in that. Almost that picture of, of climbing onto his chest in his bosom and just laying your head and resting like there is no better place in the world to be than right there. And that's my, that's my boy. That's Tate. And friends, that's the picture. When I think of God acting on behalf of his people, and for us, it requires us to trust that, to rest in that, to believe that. It's just we are resting to cease striving. As Psalm 46.10 says, cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Rest in him. It's one of the themes, actually, you find um, a little bit throughout the story of Noah is the idea of rest. How does it describe the ark? The ark came to rest on the mountain. And it's kind of woven throughout that little bit, that picture of rest, 
Are you finding that rest? Rest from worry? Anybody want to admit they worry? Anybody heard the expression, you're making a mountain out of a molehill? Come on. Nobody? Just a few of you. Liars. (laughs) Worry. Toil. Fret. I mean, it's just this, what do I do now? And then, I don't know if you guys are like me, your mind races 100 miles an hour. It's like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure this out. And that's me. And when I think about God acts on behalf of his people, if it requires me to trust God, then it's for me. I've got to find that rest in him. God's going to reveal to you. He's going to show you what's next when it's time for you to move, and that's what we're going to keep talking about. But if you believe he acts on behalf of his people, then rest in him. And rest it, he'll show you what that next step is and that next place or, or whatever it is that you need to see from him. But he's going to act on behalf of his people. The second thing is that God knows when it's the right time to move. God knows when it's the right time to move, okay? Genesis 8. Once you're introduced to this idea of God remembering Noah, and there's, Noah there is this description of, of the, uh, the flood waters. Uh, interestingly enough, I'll pick on Adam a little bit because I, I think I need to. Um, I, I offered Adam to preach this morning, just so you know, and, uh, and he declined. I said, dude, I'm finishing Noah. It's perfect for you. He's like, no, I'll let you do it. I'm like, okay. So this morning I was harassing him a little bit. Um, I got here late, um, but I was harassing him a little bit. I'm like, dude, he says, I don't know what I would do. How would I tie that into church planning? I said, you can't figure that out. I said, the waters rose for 150 days. <laughs> and, and then they began to subside. I don't know. I mean, just kind of looking at our lives, doesn't that sort of get a picture of some of our lives at different times where it's like the waters are rising and some days you feel completely overwhelmed? Then God remembers you. Then God acts and moves on your behalf, and they seem to subside. That was, that was for you, man. That was, it's just that. So now the next piece to this is God knows when it's the right time to move. So you have that description in Genesis 8, and a lot of it's talking about the waters, and it's talking about what's happening with the waters and how they subsided. And then it begins to get into this God spoke peace in verse 15. Then God spoke. Guess why God spoke? Because it was time to move. God spoke because it was time for Noah and his family and all the animals who had brought, been brought safely through the judgment that was the flood. It's time for them to move and to get off of the ark. And so God spoke because God knows when the time is to move. And I don't know if you have ever needed to experience that in your life where you're waiting for God to act on behalf of his people and then he's speaking and telling you when it's the right time to move, when it's the right time to act, when it's the right time to make a decision, the right time. And that, that sort of piece that weaves throughout maybe your own personal story, but the reality of it is when you're resting in him and you believe that he knows when it's the right time to move, then you're listening for him. You're listening for him. What's required of us in the midst of that um, is for us to pay attention. It's for us to pay attention to God, 
not just to whatever, but actually to pay attention to what God is doing. I would use, even use the description of it's required of us to walk with God. We've got to pay attention to Him, to walk with Him, to be in touch with Him, to be in tune with Him, to know what He's telling us to do, when He's telling us to do it, so that we're ready to go when He says it's time to move. So are you, is that a picture of your life? What would have happened if, if, if in Noah's life, it's like, um, you, know, he, you know, a year in the ark, maybe he got a little discouraged in his relationship with God, I don't know. But what if he got to that place where he just decided that when God spoke, he wasn't going to listen? It's like, yeah, in a minute, God, I'm, you know, we're busy playing a game or whatever that is. I don't know what they were doing. I don't know what they did to pass the time for, uh, uh, you know, a year. But it's like, no, he wasn't in tune with him. Are you in tune? Are you listening? I want to kind of give you a little picture of of maybe a a new uh, thought, maybe a new philosophy for you. It's not very deep. It's just this thought I had even this morning is, is this thing I would call a God radar in your life. You can write that one down if you want to. A God radar where you're just, you're paying attention. It's like the, the blips on the screen. It's like, okay, that's God and he's, he's moving on my behalf and now it's the right time for me to move. Okay, and it's like this radar that goes off and you're paying attention. You're walking with him. You're in tune with him. You got this God radar piece that's happening in your life and, and it, you're in tune with it. And you're listening, and you're waiting, and you're moving when he tells you to move. But um, I, I thought about that this morning. Okay, so I told you Tate is daddy's boy. And we've been dealing with this for a while. But more recently, we've been dealing with it um, a lot for the last few days. And so, like, I'm only, I'm running about three hours of sleep right now just because he, he, he just kept getting me up all night. Started about 1230, uh, which was after I had set my clock ahead. Uh, so it was 11.30 or whatever it was. But anyway, it was like every hour for about three hours, he came in and we went through that cycle. Lay here, fall asleep, take him back to bed. Lay here, fall asleep, take him back to bed. And, and he, he, would, he would constantly get back up. And, and then it came to the place where Carrie woke up and she says, well, just, just build him a little bed in the floor and he'll lay there and go to sleep. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty good. Then I can actually sleep. So sure enough, I did it. And, uh, and we, he was asleep for about an hour and a half. My alarm went off. It was, it was early still. And um, I, I get up and I, I, have, I pour my coffee and I've got my stuff and I'm reading it and going through it. And sure enough, I mean, it's like he comes walking in the room. I'm in another room in the house and he comes and finds me. Um, another, you know, and, and I do the same thing. I lift him up, put him on my shoulder, put him back to bed and try to get him to go to sleep. But it was like, I, I, this is where I thought of it. He like had this dad radar going on this morning. And he knew somehow after he went to sleep in the floor and I left, he knew that I wasn't where he was. And so he had this little thing going on where he'd get up and he'd come find me wherever I was in the house. And it went on basically till uh, finally how it worked out is I, um, it had gotten to where I, I was finished kind of reading and praying and doing kind of the routine that I have on Sunday mornings and and I picked him up, and I, I actually laid him in my bed with me, and I just sat there and just kind of held him for a little bit. And he's got his little arm, and it's like wrapped around my neck. It was so cute. But anyway, um, <laughs> he finally just fell asleep. And there he was. And I, you know, I went about, finally wound up having to wake him up. But it was like for this season in there, he had this, this instinct going on in his life where dad's left the room. And I'm going to go find him. And he'd walk around the house until he got to me. And I wonder if that's sort of how you 
have a relationship with God. Do you know when he's telling you to move? Do you, do you know when he's like, all right, so I'm out of here now, and we're, we're, we're moving, we're moving, we're going, we're going. You got that God radar piece in your life where you're paying attention. It's like, God's telling me to move. I got to go. I got to go. It's time to go. Because that's the picture of Noah. God shows up, and he says, now go out of the ark. You and everybody and all the animals, go out. Go out. So they did. They did. Which comes to the next thing, which is so good. It's really one of my favorite parts of the story is beginning in verse 20. So he gets out of the ark. Okay? God acted on behalf, on their behalf. He moved, told them it's time to go. Now it's time to go. So what do you think they do? Verse 20, because you needed a hint. He built an altar. Noah, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Listen to this. Seriously, listen. Because you're going to miss it and you're going to skip over it and you're not going to pay attention to this because we, we all do that. Because you've heard the story a million times. Listen. He built an altar and he offered all of these sacrifices wholly and completely on the altar. And then you get to verse 21 and it's that beautiful picture that God smelled the soothing aroma. And the Lord said to himself, after, by the way, I just, I just point that out to you. After, after the sacrifice, after he smelled the soothing aroma, God says to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. Because you get to this place, friends, and I want you to see this because I, I think maybe we gloss over it and we skip over it. There is something about our worship. There is something about that piece of offering a sacrifice as a fragrant aroma which is pleasing to God. And Noah did that. And it moved the heart of God. He didn't say he wasn't going to curse the ground before or, 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 or send judgment through water. He didn't say that before the sacrifice. He said it after Noah offered the sacrifice that was pleasing. God smelled the soothing aroma that came from the sacrifice, and God was moved. God was moved. And a lot, I think a lot of times we, we miss that. We miss the fact that there's something about our worship. There's something about us offering a sacrifice. We'll talk about it in a minute. But there's something about that that is a soothing and pleasing aroma to God. And He is pleased and He is moved by it. And it smells to Him beautiful. You see, but the first thing you've got to realize about the sacrifices with the burnt offerings, it was all of it. It was all of it, just on, on the altar, all consumed, all burning, and that aroma was sweet and pleased. It wasn't a portion of it. It wasn't a little bit of it. It wasn't a section of it. It was all of it. And let that be maybe the first thing for us in our life in the midst of this, is it's all of you. 
It's not a part of you. It's not a piece of you. It's not a portion of you. It's not a section of you. What we're talking about is all of you being offered on the altar as a sacrifice, and we'll talk about that in a minute in Romans, but it's all of you. It's not a portion. And for some of you, it's a portion. But when Noah gives us this great picture at the end of this where he offers all of it, and it's soothing and pleasing to God. Is, is that your life? Go with me real quick. It's the only other text we'll go to, but Romans 12. And you've probably heard, you know, uh, a bunch of messages on Romans 12, but it's so good for us in this content, in this point. Because, and here's your point if you're following along, it actually is that God alone is worthy of glory and worship. God alone is worthy of glory and worship. That's why I love the picture. Gets off the the ark, builds an altar, first step, first thing he did. Didn't, it wasn't like, hey, check out all. No, it was just like, I'm gonna, man, I'm going to gather these stones, I'm going to build this altar, and we're going we're gonna to light it up and worship. Wow. God alone is worthy. It's nothing else that's worthy. God alone is worthy of glory and worship. Listen to this, Romans 12. You've heard it, maybe, hopefully, but here it is again. Therefore, Paul writes, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You see that? I mean, it's it's offering, what does he say? To present your bodies living and holy and acceptable to God. Your life as as an act of, of worship, all of you as an act of worship. You see, we've talked about worship before, and we know that worship intuitively, we know it's more than music. We know it's more than what we do here on Sunday morning. We say we know that, but what worship really is is about you offering up your life as an act of worship because God alone is worthy of that. God alone is worthy, and so you begin to offer up my life. God, whatever you want, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, whoever you want me to speak with, that's part of offering my life. And just saying, God, I want you to be honored and glorified in my life. This is about you. It's not about me. It's about you. It's not about me. And so it's getting to that place where you are doing that. And I want you to go back to that picture in Genesis chapter 8, beginning at verse 20, where it's like, it's a soothing aroma. And it's good. The New Testament tells us that we in Christ, we in Christ are a fragrant aroma before God. Yes. Yes. He alone is worthy of glory and worship, which requires us to give all of ourselves. All of yourself. Not a little bit. Not a portion, all of it. Your job, okay? Your marriage, your parenting or grandparenting, your witness when you're out in the community, your, um, the way that you, yeah, the way you drive your car on 278, the way you respond to the lady in the drive-thru, the way that you treat the person that waits on you at the grocery store, the way that you treat your wife or your husband when you get home from work or you get home from your game of golf, the way that you do all of it, it's like, I want to offer this in worship to you. I'll never forget 
um, when, when Carrie and I, because um, our marriage is, hasn't ever, it's never been perfect. It's not ever going to be perfect. I don't know if any of you feel like yours is. Mine's not. And I'll never forget years ago, it was, it was probably, um, this is probably late, maybe may middle 2007, okay, uh, which seems like a really long time ago. But we were in this, this conversation, can I call it that? Okay, argument. Okay. Um, she's not here. She's home in bed, probably not watching online. I'll find out when I get home. Um, but we were in this, this something, this argument. It wasn't a discussion. I think somebody said discussion. It wasn't a discussion. <laughs> but I remember in, in my own heart, I, God had been really kind of moving in my life for some things. I mean, some areas that I needed to improve on. I don't know if you've ever gone, been there, but it's very painful to go through it. Um, but I remember in that one particular conversation, I can remember where I was at. I was in our kitchen. I was standing by the countertop. We were living in Eagles Point. I mean, I remember everything about the, the place. And I just remember in that moment thinking, God, I, I want to respond to this in worship. I'd, I'd never done that before. I had never uh, gotten to that place, but here we were in the midst of this, this argument, and, and, and I just remember kind of stopping and for me taking a breath going, God, however I respond to this in this moment, I want it to be worship. And if it's me apologizing or if it's me just whatever, I want it to be worship. And, and I think about kind of our life, and, and friends, we, we kind of gloss over it like that. We think worship is what we gather and do on Sunday morning, so la-di-da, here we did. You check it off your list, and you're going to leave here in 20 to 30 minutes, and you're going to be out of here. You hope to be out of here in 20 or 30 minutes. That'd be a good day. No. Um, and so, well, it's like I, I did that. I worship. No. It's, it's everything about you. Learning to respond for the glory of God, because that's what we're talking about with worship. Learning to respond for the glory of God. Learning to build others up for the glory of God. I'm not saying I do it all the time. I'm just saying that as a work in progress, it's one of those things that has been really near and dear to my heart is to kind of take, take a step back and try to respond as an act of worship for the glory of God in the midst of some of the places I find myself. But I wanted you to see that when we talk about all of me, we're talking about all of you. And we're talking about every area of your life. I know some of you are bothered by that. That is so far not bugging me at all, that, that crying baby. I love it. And scream louder. Come on. <laughs> Somebody's talking back to me. But it's that beautiful piece of all of us in learning what that means in conversations with people to say, I want to respond for the glory of God. To, to respond, yeah, sometimes in music. I, I know sometimes for me, I, I go out and maybe I'm going for a walk or something. I'll put some worship um, in, in my headphones, some worship music, and man, I'll be, be making my little track around. And I mean, sometimes, I mean, people probably think I'm nuts, but I'll be raising my hands up, just sort of kind of doing, but I, it's, yes, all of you responding in worship because he alone is worthy of glory and honor. Two more points. I know you're ready to get out of here, but you're not getting out yet. Go back to Genesis for me. And, and basically, I've got to get to the place where I've got to give you a summary. I read all of chapter 8, but I want to tell you kind of where chapter 9 goes. I'm going to give you two points and kind of what it's required for us. 
and so here's, here's sort of this, this summary because it's a, it's a really good picture for me. I, I love it. Genesis 9, um, you're kind of introduced to what we call the rainbow, right? So God is moved um, through the worship and response of Noah by offering the sacrifice. This is a soothing aroma to him. He is, and it's great and beautiful and right. And, and then God responds and he says, I'm never going to destroy the earth by water again. And so as, as in making a covenant, he says, I'm going to place a bow in the sky. We call it a rainbow. I'm going to place a bow in the sky, which will serve as a reminder for us that I, God, will never destroy the earth by water again. Right? And so that's, that's that, that great picture of that great reminder. And it, it should, I, I hope, that when you see the rainbow, that it, it's, not, it, it's not about the pot of gold you think at the end of the rainbow. It, it's, it's really a sign of the covenant that is still in existence today that we're talking about here in the midst of this. And it should move you. It, I mean, I know sometimes it's like, oh, that's pretty. Look at the rainbow. No, look at the rainbow. That's telling us about God. What's it telling us about God? It's telling us that God's never going to destroy the earth by water again. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that right? And we're moved by that. We're moved by that. That's the, the first part of that. And, and here's what I want you to see from that. In, in, your, in your outline, it says this. You need to understand that God keeps his word. You need to know that God keeps his word. He is a faithful God. And when he says something, it will come to pass. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. But one thing we know about God from the scriptures is that God keeps his word. He is faithful in that. And what you've got to take away from this is you need to become a student of the word. You need to become a student. You need to study the Word of God so that as you learn more about the God that you find in the Scriptures, then you remember, you call to mind, God keeps His Word. So what else does He say in His Word? What else does He promise in His Word? What are other things that I can hold on to in my life, sometimes in the midst of great uncertainty and in the midst of great um, persecution and great affliction that I may find myself in? What are the promises that are true and right that are found in the word of God because I don't know about you but but your life my life it's not going to be a bed of a bed of roses right it's not going to be just uh, whatever description you want it's not going to be a bowl of cherries life's not a bowl of cherries it's not going to be all of that you're going to face some really difficult things in your life I hope you know that you're going to face some things that you think you may never be able to go through. And guess what? On your own, you can't. And guess what you need to do? You need to dig into the Word of God so that you get to know the God of the Bible more and more and more and more and more so that you can rest in Him. Because that's the picture that you've got to see. If God keeps his word, if he alone is worthy of glory and worship, if he knows when it's time to make the right move, if he always acts on behalf of his people, then guess what, friends? Guess what? You've got to rest in that. And you rest in that by becoming a student of the word of God so that you are walking with him. And you are getting to know him. And you are resting in him because there's going to come a day 
As, as David writes throughout the Psalms, his enemies are about to overtake me. As Peter writes in the epistles later in the New Testament, as he says, the church is going to face intense persecution. They were facing persecution. I just wrote, I just finished a, a, a class on church history, and I studied just for my, my paper. I wrote on the, uh, a, a group of people called the Waldensian people. They're kind of out in the, the French Swiss Alps out there, but it was fascinating how they persevered through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of persecution. They were reformers before the Protestant Reformation, and they were standing. They, there was one time that 3,000 of them were slaughtered because they wouldn't attend Mass at the Catholic Church. Persecution is going to come. Something's going to go wrong in your life. It's not going to be great and wonderful and beautiful all the time. And you've got to get to the place where you know that God keeps his word. So that when you read and you know God never leaves me nor forsakes me, and you're in the midst of some horrific things in your life, you're going, God never leaves me or forsakes me. I may not have anything else to hold on to, but I'm holding on to that today. He hasn't left me. He hasn't abandoned me. Some of you need to hear that God has breathed into you the breath of life. He has made you new. He's made you alive. He's made you beautiful. He's filled you with the power of his spirit. All of those things are right. You've got to get to where you understand God keeps his word. And in Genesis chapter 9, he put a bow in the sky. And in 2013, somewhere you're going to see a rainbow. And I hope it helps you recount God's faithfulness. Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations as he looks over the beautiful city of Jerusalem laying in desolation after it had been destroyed, destroyed he says this I recall to my mind therefore I have hope the Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases his mercies are new every morning what does he say? Great is his faithfulness yes God keeps his word last thing finish the story of Noah for you so Noah Offers the sacrifice, has this exchange, understands the rainbow, um, becomes a tiller of the ground. And he actually opens a winery. That's my interpretation of the text. But if you read it, that's what he does. He, he plants a vineyard. So I use the word winery. Um, and he just basically gets to the place one night where he just winds up just stone cold drunk. Okay? And, and some of you are like, I can't believe he's saying that in church. It's in the Bible, man. It's in the Bible. So he winds up just stone-cold drunk, basically finds himself laying naked on his bed in his tent. What a great man of God. I keep telling you this isn't about Noah. It's about God. And here's the picture. So Noah's son walks in. One of his sons, Ham, walks in and uh, sees dad sprawled out naked on the bed. And from what you can interpret from the text, he takes his dad's garment and walks outside, finds his brothers, and sort of makes fun of his dad holding up his dad's garment, basically telling his brothers, hey, by the way, dad's, you know, drunk in the bed, I mean, passed out, drunk, um, laying naked, probably making fun of him. I mean, I'm just telling you what probably is going on. So his other two boys take the, the, the garment, it says, and they walk backwards into the tent and they cover their dad. And there's a curse that comes and all that kind of stuff. This is what I want you to see, though. Because it's really simple, elementary truth. 
You go through all of what you've talked about, the judgment, God wiping out all of mankind, all of the living creatures. He wiped out everything that wasn't in the ark. And he basically started over in Genesis chapter 8. They get off the ark, they be fruitful, multiply, go throughout, wind up in Genesis chapter 9. He's drunk. His son walks in, makes fun of him. What do you see in the midst of this is this. Man still rebels. I keep telling you the story is not about people, it's about God. Because what you see is that man still rebels, which means this, and this is where I'll leave you, we need a Savior. You see, we still rebel in and of ourselves. I tell us that. We're sinful, selfish, self-centered, and self-righteous people. That's who we are without Jesus. And that's what happens in the midst of Genesis chapter 8 and 9. What you find is that man is still rebelling against God. Man wants to be God. Man wants to have the right and the power of God. He doesn't want to listen to God, and so he's going to rebel against God. And that's the story of mankind. And so what the picture is, we need a Savior. We need somebody who one day is going to make all of this right And his name is Jesus. He went to the cross about 2,000 years ago, as we're going to celebrate in just a couple of weeks. Then he went to the grave. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again and then ascended to the Father. And he's coming back, and he's going to make all things new and right. Praise his holy name. The picture that you see in Genesis is the painting of this, and that we need a Savior. Man still rebelled. All that he saw, all that he went through, he still gets to the place where he's going to rebel against God. And it just paints that beautiful picture that we all need Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus to continue to make us new and right. And it's great and beautiful. I'm going to ask if you would just to, we're going to close in prayer and we're going to, I'll be down front. I don't know where you're at in your walk with God. I hope that you're in a place where you're, you're growing, where you're learning to rest, learning to trust. You're walking with Him. You're listening. You're obeying. You're in the Word, becoming a student of the Word. But one thing I really hope is that there is this deep movement in your life that reminds you often You needed Jesus. You needed him to go to the cross and bear the weight and penalty of your sins because you can't do it. And I hope that fosters in you a deep sense of gratitude, a deep sense of worship that causes you to want to respond to a God who alone is worthy of glory and worship. I'm going to be down front this morning. We'd love to pray with you, love to talk with you. We're going to stand. Praise team will come and we'll close it out with our song. Stand with me while I pray. Father, there's a song echoing in my mind right now that says, You are good. You are good when there's nothing good in me. You are love on display for all to see.